Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here this evening. Um, I'm gonna, if you have a phone with you, I'm going to show you something if you want to see. If you, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But I'm going to go to uh, generationword.com on my phone. And it's going to open you up to the, the website. I just want to show you what I've got done. I'm going to start handing stuff out to you uh, as time goes on and bring in some stuff. And I'm on my home page right here on the, I just scroll down to the very bottom, not the very bottom, the very bottom's got the logo, uh, but right the last, uh, where it says Tuesday, Tuesday, it's like the last video on that home page. If you notice right there, you've got Nehemiah, and the last week's message is there, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. Then it's got the MP3, that's the audio of last week, then the notes from last week, then it's got a timeline. Are you with me on this? On the bottom of page, and you go to the, the bottom. And then underneath where it says MP3 notes timeline, there's one, two, three things. One is Nehemiah archive. Another is the Nehemiah booklet, PDF. And another is the Nehemiah flip book. Now, I'm going to give you a hard copy of the Nehemiah booklet, PDF, or the Nehemiah flip book next week. I, I only printed 12 of them. And so it's... Right, not next week. No class next week. Correct. Uh, the next time we're here, I'll hand that out because we'll start on that because I've got a bunch of maps in there. Uh, but it's also online there if you want to see it. The flip book's kind of fun, especially if you're on a computer and you've got sound because when you click on it, it turns, makes page sounds like it's turning the page. What I want you to look at right now is Nehemiah Archive. You can make it a little bit bigger if you wanted to and touch Nehemiah Archive. And that takes you to my old pages my old yellow pages. And uh, on that, of course, is going to be at the bottom. It's going to have all the classes, the videos, and the, you know, the audio, the video, and the notes. Uh, but then above that is going to have uh, several other things. There's some old videos from old class. In fact, you can see some classes from Connections back in 2007, 2008. Uh, but there's a map right there, and it says Nehemiah Maps here. If you touch that, that's going to take you to my web, my, my note, my, my map page. It's got maps from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament, but it'll take you right to the Nehemiah maps that are on that page. Uh, and there's a variety of them. Nehemiah is going to, next, next time we have class, he's going to go out and do a wall inspection at night. I've got a map showing you where he goes, a couple of those. Then he's going to build the walls, and I'm going to have a map that shows you the locations of where all the, the landmarks are mentioned. And then he's going to tell you what people worked on each section of the wall. Those maps are all here. For example, he's going to have the names of all the people all the way around the wall. And then they're going to have a big, at the end, chapter 12. Now we're talking like we're a year away from here uh, as far as our class. Uh, they're going to have a dedication. Half the group is going to march out the valley gate on the west side down south and around the city of David, come out the water gate, which we know where that's at. I've, I've stood in the water gate. I've got pictures of it. The other group is going to go north up around the north wall of the temple and come down, and they're going to meet on the temple mount. There's also a map showing that marching pattern. And then each of those is going to have a a, a, a section broken out, a little bit detailed. All those maps are there, uh, just so you can see that. Now I'm going to go back to that home page. Uh, those same maps I just mentioned, the, the four main ones are right on the front, right there. You can touch them. They're huge. They're, well, I printed these off of them. See that right there? The maps that are online, they're that big. I just, you know, made them small, so you click on it, it goes this big. But if you zoom in on it, it's that clear. Uh, this is this map is on your notes tonight. And it's with, in your notes, but it's this big. And the same thing is true with those other maps. I'll bring those in as the weeks go by. I just want you to know that that's online there. Uh, and I'm going to be putting some more pictures of the locations on there. So anyway, that's on generationword.com. Go to the home page at the bottom where it says or on your computer the last Tuesday class, which is tonight. Uh, and then there's going to be an archive, Nehemiah Archive, and that'll take you to all 
go back to 2007 classes all the way through, plus all the maps I've made. So anyway, I just wanted to show you that because uh, that's what I've been working on, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. So there you have it. Um, we are in Nehemiah chapter 2 tonight. Uh, we've we've uh, introduced the book. Nehemiah has uh, heard the report. Do you get, anybody have a question about what I was saying? About the maps or anything like that? It's just... Yeah, like, like, like if you do like this with, with your fingers, you can get... Well, if you, okay, like the, 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 ma- the little map is a little tiny map. If you touch that, it takes you to the big map. Those, I made those small... Yeah, so if you zoom in on that map, it's, it's corrupted. It's, just, it's a, just a little image. That's a good question because, yeah, you can zoom in on them, but the, the map that looks like this, when it's the, home, the home button, if you touch on or if you touch on it, it'll take you here, but if you zoom in on it, it's just going to take that little, because I reduced them very small. Yeah, you can print your own maps off at home if you want to hang them on the wall and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people want to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, okay. Any other questions? That, that okay. Uh, Nehemiah has heard the report from his brother that's come back. He's probably an official himself in some capacity or the delegation that he's traveling with. Ask about the city. Remember, uh, in 464, uh, Artaxerxes had made the decree. Uh, he was told that it's a rebellious city. They've had trouble with the Assyrians. They've had trouble with the Babylonians. And Artaxerxes says, no, you're not going to build the city. It was a decree. Well, now, 20 years later, 445, and it's going to quickly become 444 B.C., uh, Nehemiah gets word, how are things going? And the people are oppressed. You can see on this map here. And we're going to hear about Samaria tonight. And we're going to hear about the trans-Euphrates, the two leaders, Sambalet, you don't want to, you, you know, don't forget that name, Sambalet, and then Tobiah. They're going to hear Nehemiah's showing up, and they're going to be very upset uh, because they're using this territory. They're using it for, you know, just to keep it oppressed, or they're using the people for, you know, forced labor, slave labor, cheap labor. It's, it's their territory. Uh, even though Judea's come back or the Jews have come back, they're, they're oppressed because these other provinces or satraps have prospered and they've got good leadership. Uh, Nehemiah, having never been there himself, we assume, since he was probably born in Babylon, uh, has asked his brother, he's very connected to it, he's probably been, you know, his family somehow feels connected to it, uh, just like Ezra, and it finds out it's still in rubble. There's no protection. The, the, the people have, they're not even living in Jerusalem. There's very few people living in the city. The temple's up and running, but how, how productive is that? The people are surrounded. Well, here's the Judean area. Those are the cities. Uh, but again, it's going to be tough to get there. It's going to be dangerous. And so he's, he's upset. And that's where we leave off in chapter 1. Uh, He's praying to God and asks that God show him a, a, a favor himself, but also show him favor the, in, in front of the man that he's going to be speaking to. And the man he's going to be speaking to is Artaxerxes. And he ends last week by saying, I was cupbearer to the king. Um, I'll just read through the material we're going to look at tonight, then we'll come back to the notes. So in the NIV, uh, closing down chapter 1, verse 10 they are your servants, the Jews, and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand, bringing them out of Egypt. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And other people are praying the same thing, like Ezra and others. Give your servant success. That's what he asked for from God. Give me success. I'm going to try to solve this problem. Give me success by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So he wants God to give him success. I'm going to go to this man, and I need you to give me favor. And and then the next line sums it up. I was cupbearer to the king. I had access to our text. I'm not just going to write a letter or start a petition or start a protest. I carry his wine in. He trusts me to taste his wine. 
uh, make sure it's not poison, make sure it's good quality. I've got to have an audience with the king. Now this is, he hears this in December. November, December uh, is when it tells you when those guys showed up there in chapter 1. November, December of 445. When we begin chapter 2, it's going to be the month of Nisan, which is March, April, which in our calendar, the next year now, it's 444. The key being, it's four months later. Why this happened? Why it was four months? Maybe he's trying to do, have timing, make sure he gets the king in the right mood. Uh, maybe the king is, in, you know, he's in Susa. Uh, I'm pointing the wrong map now. Susa. Uh, and maybe he was in Babylon. You know, you know that they move different palaces for the different seasons. And we're going to see, I've got it highlighted here. I'm going to make a point of his night. On the page of the notes, I've got cupbearer underlined in the Hebrew there, and there's no article. He is not the cupbearer. He's cupbearer, which means he's probably one of several cupbearers. Now, again, don't diminish this because he's going to talk personally with the king. The king knows Nehemiah, he knows his facial expressions. And when Nehemiah asks a request, Artaxerxes is all about getting it done. So, and he's not just going to say, well, why don't you go, go home, take a few days off and go visit your family in, in Judea. He's going to make him governor of Judea. He's going to be, just like we mentioned, Sanballat in uh, Samaria and Tobiah in Transphrates over here in a- Ammon. Uh, Nehemiah is their equal. He's now the governor of Judea, and he's going to be that way for 12 years. Nehemiah is going to be sent over there, and he's going to ask him, as we read through this tonight, uh, when I gave him the time, it looks like he, he, he's, given, he's given 12 years because he's going to return around 433, 432, and going to check back in with Artaxerxes and then be sent back for a couple other years. But he's going to be there for 12 years. And that's going to come up here a little, not, not specifically here, but he's going to ask, how much time do you need? Well, I'd like to have a couple weeks off. I, I, I'll be back in 12 years. I mean, that, that, that's what it ends up being. So, and he's governor. He's not just, you know, going on a, you know, all expenses paid trip to Jerusalem. He's going there as governor with paperwork uh, that, that shatters uh, Samaria, uh, trans-Euphrates, and establishes Judea as a province. Okay, so here we continue, chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, we're going to read down to the uh, 11 verses tonight, but here's right out of the NIV. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of our King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? Can this, be, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. A little, little kind of personal right there. I mean, he's reading Nehemiah. I was very much afraid, because it's crunch time. I added that. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? I mean, that's... That's like blank check material from Artaxerxes. Great verse. Everybody makes a big deal about this verse. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Several things. It's a spontaneous prayer on the spot. Not that he wasn't prepared for it, but he says a prayer before he addresses the king. He prays to the king. And he addresses him, calls him the God of heaven, which is a kind of like an all-capturing name that the Persians would have recognized the Jewish God, the God of heaven, which is accurate, but it also fits into the Persian culture. That's who we're talking about. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his eyes, or in his, in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, as I go through this, I want you to notice, I'll make a big deal of it later. He doesn't say Jerusalem. He never says the name of the city. He talks about his city, the city in Judah, the city of his fathers, but he's not going to say that that loaded word, 
Jerusalem, that rebellious city. I mean, we've got, you can listen to politicians on talk shows, on, on podcasts, and they'll talk, you know, question and answer. They'll talk all around the issue, but they won't say the word. The, 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 they'll talk about whatever, and you know what they're talking about this, but they don't say it because it's a buzzword. It's going to cause emotion or something. Potentially, I'm just saying, because he doesn't say, I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He talks about, well, listen to it again. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah. Uh, Which city? You mean Jerusalem? Uh, I wasn't going to say that word. Uh, Where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. I mean, he's asking to rebuild Jerusalem, which again ties back into Daniel from the issuing of the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, uh, there'll be 483 years. Then the kings, oh, excuse me, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? If it, ple- it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now he doesn't tell us, he said, well, he took care of the, here's the time frame I'm going to need. So I set a time. It doesn't tell us what it is. The book reveals it ended up being 12 years. Now, if you ask for an extension, now we've looked at the map already that you could cover from Susa over to Sardis right here. This was a seven-day journey, seven-day journey from Susa to Sardis, uh, seven days on their Pony Express where they had fresh horses and riders. You could send a letter in seven days and then seven days later have a response back. So these guys, uh, it was something that the, the Darius set up, the historians recorded. It was something that helped them control the logistics of their empire was rapid communication. And so Nehemiah is not going to be gone for 12 years and never going to have communication. There's going to be, that's why, as we've seen it already in Ezra, there's so many letters of letters going back and forth because they were sending these letters back and forth on the royal roads. Um. Uh, I said a time. Okay, verse 7. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. Now, Trans-Euphrates can refer to everything on this side of the Euphrates, but there is a territory right here called Trans-Euphrates. But it is in plural, so he's talking about all these governors that he's going to be going through, and particularly the ones surrounding Judah. These guys up in here aren't so concerned about Judea, but the people that are using it for their own profit are very concerned that someone's going to come in and clean house and establish some boundaries or borders. Um, uh, Letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple. Now that's important. Citadel, we'll look at that. Citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. I'm going to need timber for, uh, from the forest for the gates, for the citadel. Oh, yeah, and my house. I'm going to have to build myself. I'm going to, if you expect me to go there and live, I'm going to have to have a place. To, so obviously it's not just for a couple weeks. I'm going to need letters. I'm going to build myself a house. And he's coming out of a, a citadel, a palace in Susa, going over here uh, he's not just you know going to rent a place he's going to build himself some kind of a palace we'll talk about that or some place to live um a residence occupied and because the and because the gracious hand of my god was upon me the king granted my request and that's plural again that's after 20 years of saying we're not going to do this now he says sure so I went to the governors of the Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. Now there's, you know, it's probably good because I just spend three weeks talking about it. It doesn't talk anything about the journey. It just says he gave me permission. And so what I do? Well, I gave, him the, I gave them the letters. So he already, in the story, he's already over here handing out letters. I'm Nehemiah. I'm here to take over Judea. And I'll expect some cooperation and a little bit of respect for the people or whatever the letter said. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent me... Okay, here's your your journey. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Now again, Ezra came, as we know, 
He didn't ask for an escort. He started down here and, and took the journey by himself. They fasted before they left because he talked about how great his God was. You remember the account. And that we want to go back and, and rebuild the temple and, and take care of some of the business over there. And the king said so. But yeah, you can do this. But Ezra was concerned that he'd talked Yahweh up, that he was going to now say, oh, we're going to need some kind of military escort to get over there because it's pretty dangerous. So Ezra fasted and prayed, and they arrived safely. Nehemiah is not going to be because of matter. He's not, not a matter of him lacking faith. It's a matter that he is a royal representative. He's coming out of the palace. He is working for the king, and he is going into some hostile territory. So it's, it's very natural that he would have a military escort coming over here to Judea. And that's, that's what he has right here. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So when he shows up to town, he, or when he marches through or goes through the trans-Euphrates territories, it's not like he's coming on a stealth mission. I mean, it's not like no one doesn't know he's here. Well, here it is, verse 10. When Sanballat, the governor of Samaria... The Hornite, we'll talk about that, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to, to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So when he shows up with this military escort with the letters, this whole east side, everything to the north, it says in that verse, they're very concerned. Things are going to change unless we put a stop to it. And throughout the book, there's going to be continuous attacks on the people, but specifically on Nehemiah. These guys trying to take Nehemiah out because he's changing the direction or the trajectory of the way they're running the land right there. So those are the verses we're looking at tonight. Uh, we look at the notes now very quickly. Well, I hope very quickly. Uh, this is now the English Standard Version. I pick up with the very last verse of chapter 11. Now, or last part of the last verse. Now I was cupbearer to the king. The main reason I put that in there is I took the Hebrew text right there and put a square around the phrase, for I was cupbearer of the king. And cupbearer, I've got it underlined. Commentators, again, I, I don't want to pass myself off as a Hebrew or Greek scholar. I wish I was, but again, if I wish I was, that's what I would have become. Uh, but I can read their material, and they make a big deal about the fact that there is no article here. It doesn't say, for I was the cupbearer. That's a big deal. If it says, I was the cupbearer, you've got Artaxerxes and the cupbearer, Nehemiah. He was cupbearer. It, it gives room for several cupbearers or a group. Now, as you read the rest of the chapter, you realize that he was a cupbearer, maybe of several cupbearers, but he's got some relationship with the king. He's got some leadership ability. Not just, oh, let's see what happens if we make him a governor. I mean, the guy is just like with a, with a hand note right there, or cut in a cuneiform or whatever. He's the governor of, of Judea. He's cupbearer, and now he's a governor. So we, again, I've said it before, you can't take the idea that he's some lowly, you know, low life, just got a job here to take the trash out once in a while if I get a, and then I'll, you want to be governor of Judea? Why heck, I'd like to try, sure. It's like that he's, this is in his repertoire of, you know, possibilities. So again, keep that in mind. And here's some things written down. I, I said a couple of these last week. Uh, point one, Nehemiah was one of the cupbearers. There's no article. And here's two examples. One from the Assyrians. Uh, it's the book called Tobit, a Jewish writing, talking about the Assyrians are in 700 B.C. It says, now, Ahikar was chief cupbearer. Now, this is the Assyrians. This is 250 years before this time. But there was a chief cupbearer for the Assyrians, and he was the keeper of the signet, the signet ring that would sign documents. Uh, and in charge of administration of the accounts under King Sennacherib of Assyria, for Ishar Hardin, that would be his son, reappointed him. And so that, that gives you, that's what cupbearers were like in the realm of, uh, of the Assyrians. Then a Greek historian writing in 430, or was born in 431, so writing around, you know, say 400 B.C., or right after this time, he writes about the Persian uh, cupbearers. Now, it is a well-known fact, this is what the Greek historian writes right after this time, 
it is a well-known fact that the king's cupbearers, notice plural, when they pro-offer the cup, you know, they bring the cup to him, I sent up about this last week, draw off some of, some of the wine with a ladle, pour it into their left hand, and then swallow it down, so that if they should put poison in, they may profit, not profit by it. So again, Nehemiah, if he brought it in, he would have had a ladle, poured some in his left hand, took a drink in front of the king, and served him the bowl. And again, before I cover this up, we had a wine bowl that was actually engraved with Artaxerxes' name on it. So that's his position. Uh, There's a bunch of notes from last week, point two and three there. Bottom of page one, chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, that's March, April, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, 445, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. So it would appear that you know the the chefs, the the, the wine or the cup bears have all got everything prepared, and it's going to be time to take it in. Now, we we don't know the details. Is is this just his turn to take the wine in? Is this he been doing it for four months, just kind of waiting for an opportunity to talk to the king? And why all of a sudden the king is noticing? That, that Nehemiah is sad. Is this, he's been sad for four months, and this is the first time Artaxerxes has seen him in four months? Or has he been kind of playing a game for four months, and all of a sudden it's time to make my move, put on my sad face, so the king asks me what's wrong? Hey, I, you know, we don't know these things. One thing we do know is he, the king notices the complexion of Nehemiah and says, you're not sick. Now, why would he know? He says, well, this can't be a sickness. Because you wouldn't be allowed this close to me if you were sick. I mean, it's like, well, I know you're not sick, but you look terrible. And it's like, are you worried about something? Are you got some kind of a plan? He's not suspicious. You could say he comes in there, something's off. You don't look right. What's going on? He's not, he doesn't go right into suspicious, being suspicious of, he knows he's not sick. Now I'm a little suspicious why you look like this. He goes, well, he says, this could only be one thing. Something's bothering you. What's bothering you? Now, again, why hasn't he noticed it in the previous four months? These, these are things uh, I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I, I read this, I want more details. Now I have not, okay. In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So, uh, again, it's a great honor to be in the presence of the king. Uh, He's there, and for some reason, he's giving off these bad vibes. Um, and the king said to me, again, this is Artaxerxes. Why would he even care? I mean, how many times do you have a, someone wait, at, you know, wait on you at a restaurant, and they seem a little, like, you know, distracted, a little moody, and you're just like, well, whatever, and you just go on. You don't say, something's bothering you. So, I mean, you know, I, I, maybe you would. I, I don't think I would. Oh, I've talked to waiters and waitresses before, sometimes. But it's very, I mean, this is Artaxerxes, the king of the Persian Empire, and he, he engages with Nehemiah. Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Right there, then I was very much afraid. Now, again, you could, what, again, what does that mean? It's like, oh, no. I've been covering it up for four months, maybe. I've been covering it up for four months, and finally it's got to me, and he saw that I'm distracted. I'm thinking about something besides his wine, and I was afraid. Oh, I got caught. Maybe he has been covering it up. Or maybe he was very much afraid because this is the time that he was working for, and that fear may be more of, okay, this is do or die right here. We're either going to build the walls of Jerusalem or... I'm going to be demoted to some, you know, washing chariots in the parking lot or something. Uh, and, and then I was very much afraid. I mean, we would like to talk about that, just kind of know that he's thinking that. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my... He doesn't say, I'm sorry. Oh, nothing's bothering me. Just, I'm fine. And he doesn't brush it off. He doesn't try to make an excuse. He goes right after the issue. I mean, I, I'd consider this a challenge. Uh, I mean, if I had a student in school, and I would say, and they'd say, I'd say, what's wrong? Why should my face not be sad? You won't let us build the wall. Why should I not be sad? You gave us too much homework. I mean, putting it right back on the teacher. He doesn't go quite that far. But let the king live forever. That probably, again, he's trained in, in court etiquette, so you, this is probably, you know, the way you'd address the king. 
Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? A lot of information right there, very well thought out sentence. It doesn't brush it off, but he says, why, why should I not be sad? Because uh, the city, he's going to name this place, just calls it a city, doesn't say Jerusalem, but he identifies the city, instead of just saying Judea, the city now becomes personal. The city, he describes it, the city, uh, the place of my father's graves. His father's, and I'll show you some pictures, father's graves are there. Uh, there are, and not just like, you know, graves like burial spots, but sepulchers. And it is possible that Nehemiah was from some kind of uh, upper class, and his father's sepulchers, tombs cut out of the stone, are there. I will show you some pictures when we get going here. Uh, the, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins. It doesn't just have to be his, his grandfather or his father. It can be generations going, you know, from this time. It could go back to you know, 1,000 B.C. It could be 600 years worth of tombs that are there or sepulchers. King David's was still there at the time. I'll get some pictures for you. Um, uh, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the gates with fire, uh, the, the walls are going to be built out of stone. Uh, we're going we're to talk about that here in, in a couple of weeks. But when it came time for the gates, you can't make a stone gate. You're going to have to have a, a wooden swinging gate or swinging gates like this. And then there's going to be, once you get the gates shut, there's going to have to be a wooden beam come down and block it. So it's not going to be, it's not all rock. In fact, the gate, and the gates are not necessarily just a wall, but we, we've talked about this before. I'm running out of room here. Is Here's your wall. If this is your wall coming across here like this, and you put a gate here, you're not just going to put a gate right here, the little board right there. The gate would be, in many cases, uh, a, a fortress itself or a citadel. And in, in that gate is going to be chambers. There's going to be in, in the, the s- gates of Solomon's day, there's going to be one, two, three chambers on each side. And those chambers are, are, at, are rooms where you can enter. So you would have a, a door here. You'd walk through this gate. You could stop in this room or this room. You know, they'd have meetings. This is where the, the city leadership would meet in the gate of the city. And they'd sit in the gate of the city. It'd be like, uh, you know, the, he- the head of the, the city, the, 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 the state house in many cases, not the state house, but where they have the meetings, and you'd walk in this gate. And so there's plenty of room for wood, benches, there's wooden doors here, there's beams. And so these walls would be stone, but these gates also built out of stone, but then overlaid with wood. That's why it makes sense. And when you first read this, I mean, I remember reading this when I was younger, and you got, how, how are the gates, I mean, are they burning rocks? I mean, what? Well, this wall, parts of these walls are still there, but the gates from Nebuchadnezzar's time, 586, they were, they were scorched. They were burnt out. There's still stones in many cases, but there's no gate there. There's people running in and out. There's no protection. There's animals. Uh, so his city, his, where his father's tombs are, sepulchers, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? This sounds like a request. What do you want to do about it? And this is again where he says, so I prayed to God of heaven. Okay. And once again, he's had four months to prepare for this. And that may, okay, I just, I'm, I'm, that's still hanging on me. That may, he, he, okay, here's the situation. I need a favor. I need to make a plan. And maybe what he's been doing is prepping for this conversation. He's bringing in wine, being Mr. Happy, you know, put on a happy face. It's like, okay, I've got everything in order because watch how he does this. It's not a half-thought plan. I mean, the guy has detail. He knows, again, maybe this is common knowledge because he knows all the suppliers because he's in charge of the wine. Maybe he's in charge of purchase orders. Maybe he's in charge of the suppliers. He maybe is in charge of who gets an audience with the king. No, you can't see the king today. Yes, you can see the king. Uh, so he's going to know the, the person, the name of the person that's in charge of the, the king's force. He's going to know his name right now. It's like, well, I'm going to have to look this up. He either is just very familiar with it or he spent four months prepping for this. 
So he says, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Again, God of heaven is that phrase. He doesn't say Yahweh, although that's who he's praying to. The God of heaven is a name of God that the Persians and the Jews could both meet and agree on. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that's the second time he said it, and that's what he's prayed that God would give him favor in the king's sight, that you send me to Judah. He didn't say send me to Jerusalem. Send me to Judah. Now, does that mean make me governor of Judah or just send me there? Now, understand, it has to mean give me some authority. The city's in ruins. It's my father's home. My people are from there. The gates are burnt with fire. Yes, from 586. Well, what are you requesting? I'm requesting that you send me to Judah so I can fix this. Well, just imagine a city problem, a national problem, and say to some official, the president, this is the problem. We've got, you know, waterworks problems in West Des Moines. Well, what do you want to do? Send me to West Des Moines. And so I come driving in with my car. I park it somewhere. It's like, let's, and it's like, what are you going to do when you get there in West Des Moines and fix the water problem? It's like, you better walk in with, it says, send me to Judah or send me to West Des Moines, send me to West Des Moines and put me in charge of the waterworks and I'll fix the problem. It doesn't do him any good just to show up in, in Judah and say, well, I'm going to try to see if I can figure out how to get this fixed. He's got to be coming in with some ammunition already or some, some paperwork and some power. So nonetheless, uh, if I found favor that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's grave that I may rebuild it. And so he asked for permission to rebuild the city, not, not, a, not as a contractor, but he's going to go in there, not with, you know, a, a load of lumber and back his truck up, beep, 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 and start building the walls uh, or hire a couple guys. He's going to go in there as governor, and we're going to see how he does it. And he's going to say, we need to get this done. He's going to rally the people, and he's going to be in charge. And so you can see that this is more than just him going to Jerusalem. He's going in there with authority. Uh, and again, one of the reasons why he would be afraid, as you can see right here, is he's going to ask the king to rebuild a city that he 20 years previously had says, no, you can't build this rebellious city, and now you want to rebuild this rebellious city. He's got to have some huge trust in Nehemiah because he's letting Nehemiah build a city that the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians all recognize, and the historians have all recorded, it's a rebellious city. And Nehemiah says, I would like to rebuild that rebellious city. He doesn't say it like that. And our text he says, you know, if you build it, I think I can trust you. Why don't you go get that done? Now, again, we know from other stories, this is a, they're, they're, they're having trouble. I, I don't want to get off this. But the Persians, you look how big the empire is. And it goes further to the east. They're having trouble with the Greeks. Uh, the, the Phoenicians control the coast because of the ships. But the Greeks have also come in, including the Philistines, we already know that. But the Greek merchants have come in and taken over these, or at least started doing trade in these Phoenician cities along this coast. And so you have having a rebellion against Greece. You've tried to invade the Greeks. The Greeks have pushed you back. The Greeks have come over here and are settling on the Phoenician coast here. Egypt has led a revolt. You're going to have one of the Syrian governors is going to lead a revolt against Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is going to end up forgiving him. So he's got trouble here. He's got trouble here. The Greeks have infiltrated right here. He's already put down a revolt in Egypt. And if Nehemiah, his cupbearer, who he trusts, says, I want to be governor of Judea, it's like, that's a great idea. I would like to have you right here in the middle of where all this chaos is breaking out, where he's trying to control the western side of his empire from Susa. That would be great to have you right there on the front lines. So you see that there's a little bit of of God in this, that God is going to do His work. Nehemiah is working that. But Artaxerxes isn't necessarily looking at this going, you know, Nehemiah, I've always liked you. Ah, what can I do to help you out? It's kind of like, you know that plan? That's exactly what I need. I need someone like you over there taking charge of. And he's already sent Ezra. He's already sent Ezra over there to establish, remember, the law of the Lord, but also the law of the Persians. So Ezra is... He can't be over there making up his own laws. He's got to enforce the law of Artaxerxes. Now, Nehemiah is going to come rebuild a city, 
and it is going to be a, a stronghold for our Artaxerxes when that city gets built. It may have been rebellious in the past, but for his little time spot in history, Jerusalem can be one of his strongholds. So that's all playing out positive here uh, for uh, Nehemiah. Now, chapter 2, verse 6. And the king said to me, and for some reason it's in, it's in the text, the queen sitting beside him. Now, now wh- why is that there? Um, we'll talk about it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So he's going to have, it doesn't give us an answer for that. The book gives us an answer. We've mentioned that already. The queen sitting beside him, uh, uh, that is the word. I've got it written down there. You see queen is Siegel, S-E-G-A-L. It's the, it, it's, it comes from the root word S-G-L in the Hebrew. It means to lie with and to, means ravish a woman. Uh, that, that's what the root word means. And the queen was this person. Uh, the word is also used in Psalm 45, 9, where it says, The daughters of the kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. So there the word is the queen, and it's got the uh, direct article, the queen, in Psalms, but it also, I've got it underlined there. You can see in the square with the underline, it says, and the queen, because it could also be used in Daniel 5, verses 2, 3, and 23. It is also used of concubine, Belshazzar's last party, uh, his concubines were there with him, and that is the same word that you see right here called the queen. So this could be the concubine. This is the number one. Uh, it could be, you know, he'd maybe have several women, but this is the woman. This is the queen. And uh, this plays into this right here, is the queen, uh, some would say, again, that this becomes, I don't want to say tricky, but it's like you've got to kind of peel some layers back. Because first it would be like, oh, back in the ancient world, women were like second rate. They would have their party in that room, and the men would have their party in this room. Uh, they never got, you know, intermixed or anything like this. But then at the same time, you start seeing certain things like uh, Esther becoming the queen, and she is, is giving advice to Xerxes. Xerxes is asking, and she is giving directions on, on how he should handle the situation. Uh, And then we've got a great example right there in Daniel chapter 5. You've got this right here. I think I've got it at the bottom of page, yeah, bottom of page 2. Daniel 5.10. You remember the party. I want to read it to you, but I think you can remember. Belshazzar knows this. I mean, it's it's about the place, and you've probably already thought about this before in our culture. It's like we're at this place. It's like, oh, well, (laughs) it's like... Eat and drink because tomorrow we perish. It's like there's no coming back. It's like the Persians are at the gate. What are we going to do? Let's break out the wine. It's like it's the last night. And so that, I mean, that Belshazzar, he knew his dad had gone south. I could tell you all this. Nabonidus had gone south because he knew he couldn't defeat the Persians. So he's trying to expand the kingdom and build another fortress and, and worship the gods in the south. He says, son, you want to be king of Babylon? Oh, yeah, sure. So Belshazzar, Nabonidus' son, is king of Babylon. And the Persians are there to take over. Cyrus is just outside the gate. And so they're having this last party. It's not like, it's not like they're not worried. It's like they're so worried that they, they don't know what to do except just have a party. So nonetheless, they're having this party. And uh, then the handwriting comes down the wall. Tekel, tekel, you farson. You know, judge, judged, wanting. Uh, you know, the, the Persians. Uh, and they can't read it. They know that they saw a hand write it on the wall, carve it into the, the wall, and everybody's panicked. The, the concubines, the guests, Belshazzar, and the queen, she hears this, the, the commotion. And so she comes in and she says, we don't know what it says. She says, well, when your father, when your father was king, now this would be Nebuchadnezzar, would be his grandfather, and then evil Marduk was the one that ruled after him, and he married uh, this one at bottom point, point three, uh, Natakris. And it's spelled N-I-T-O-C-R-I-S. Natakris was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. She married this guy named Evil Marodoc, which was the king. 
Then they had a son, Nabonidus, who then had a son, would be Belshazzar, as his all goes out. So this would be his grandmother through some kind of, that is coming in, Netachris. And she says this, if you look right here on page three, I've got it in the Hebrew at the top. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords to hail, the banquet came and spoke the queen, saying, King forever live, live forever, king. Not, let, not do let this trouble you, your thoughts and your countenance uh, be changed. And then she says, when your father was king, which could mean your grandfather, there was a wise man. When he had a dream or he had these puzzles he couldn't figure out, he would call him and he would unravel them for him. Now this man is available. You just got him over there in the nursing home or you've got him down here, you know, licking envelopes or something. I mean, it's like you put him out of your job. So they called Daniel in and they says, if you can read this, you know, I'll give you up to, uh, what did it say? Uh, uh, not half my kingdom or a third of my kingdom or a fourth of the kingdom, something, meaning he couldn't give him a certain amount because he, he only had a half of it. But nonetheless, Daniel says, keep your money. You're not gonna, I, it's not going to be any good. And he interprets it for him. But nonetheless, that was right there. You can see the word queen on, on the top of page three. Uh, and that is a different word. Uh, it is the word melka. It's in point three on the bottom of page two. Melka or melka with an H. My point the, the, with Esther and with uh, Netocris, you've got queens that are giving advice. They're, in, they're in, involved in, especially in the inner rooms with what's taking place in the kingdom. And so the fact that it says right there, I just think that's interesting. Of all the details we want to know or I want to know about, I find out the queen is sitting by Artaxerxes. And that must mean something. It's just like, oh, uh, the wallpaper was blue and the wine we're drinking that day was a dark wine and the queen was there. Uh, it was about 2.30 in the afternoon. We, we, there's so many things we don't know, but the queen is there. And so that's got to have, it gives a, an impression there that he may have been, in, in fact, the Septuagint, when they translate this, gives the impression, the wording that they use, that, that Nehemiah is talking to the king and queen. That he's not just talking to Artaxerxes. It's an ongoing, a three-way conversation. And the queen is involved in this. Now, this queen could be uh, his number one wife, number one concubine. Or, again, this is a, a shot in the dark. It could be Esther. Because Esther would be the, just like Natakris came in and told Belshazzar, go find Daniel. The, the, she, was in the same, she was in the same position Esther would be at this time sitting on the throne and Nehemiah's dancing around this, you know, this city of Judah, the king of my, my graves of my fathers. And if it's Esther sitting there, it even adds a little more color to this. It could be. I, I tend to think it's not. It tends to sound like it's, it's his wife or it's his number one concubine. But the word does refer to, uh, in fact, over in, uh, in Daniel, some translations translate it queen. They just translate it the queen mother. I mean, because they know it's not the queen of Belshazzar because she's talking about the old days. And so it wouldn't be his young wife. It'd be his older mother or grandmother. Okay. Chapter uh, 2, end of verse 6. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So he gives him a time. And, I, and again, we don't know how much time he asked for. And I said to the king... Here's what I need. If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province of beyond the river, or trans-Euphrates, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. I need letters from Susa all the way through so that as I go, because I, I'm, he's going to be looking like royalty. He's going to be looking like a, a, a governor, and I'm going to be moving through these other governors' territories. I need permission to travel through, and he's going to be given a military escort. Uh, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Uh, and he wants, besides that, a letter to Asaph, which is a Jewish name, the keeper of the king's forest, which I'm going to assume is the forest of Lebanon. There's some other options I'll give you. But I think it's the, where they got the timbers uh, for the temple from Solomon's day and from Zerubbabel's day. 
and for Solomon's palace. So we're going to need these timbers that they may give me timbers to make beams for. Beams would be those long structures, like here's an I-beam right here. They'd be long, square, you know, 12 by 12. In fact, in the Jerusalem book, there's some pictures of these beams, and some of them are dated from uh, Solomon's time and Zerubbabel's time. Uh, I don't know what the dates of the ones I got a picture of, but they were on the Temple Mount because they, they would, when they burnt the temple, not everything was burnt to ashes. A lot of stuff was reused in the El Aqsa Mosque. It's sitting on the south side of the Temple Mount on fill. So whenever there's an earthquake, the, the ceiling, a roof collapses, and they have to rebuild it when there's a major earthquake. And they have seen, and you can see inside the El Aqsa Mosque, some of those timbers, and some of them have been dated by archaeologists and scientists to 1,500 B.C., uh, some of them have got engravings on them, meaning they came from somewhere else, and they're in reuse here. Now, some of them were just piled up, just, and I saw it in 2007, just piles of, of timber. Sometime between 2007 and 2014, they, 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 someone started ex- experimenting with them, taking tests with them, and dating them, saying, these are, some of these are dating back to the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden... Uh, they were being burnt on the Temple Mount. There was, people were burning them on the Temple Mount, burning these ancient timbers on the Temple Mount. And you know who was doing that? It would be the Muslims burning the evidence that this was at one time something other than uh, a Muslim site. So anyway, those timbers would be about as, like a beam right there. And that's what he says right here, uh, uh, that I may get... Uh, Give me timber to make beams for, and he names three things he needs beams for. Uh, The gates of the fortress, uh, and that is the word, fortress is the word vira, which if this all goes together, well, here is very roughly the north side of the Temple Mount. Now that's the temple, ugly drawing of that precise. Solomon's Temple Mount, I'm going to give you more information, was 500 cubits square all the way around. The Dome of the Rock would be right here, or the Ark of the Covenant sat on the high spot of the rock right here. But this rose continued to rise here. And so this is where all the, the enemy would invade here, Rome, Babylon. And so right up here, this was the main, amazingly, was the main line of defense. You don't need to worry about here. That's the Kidron Valley. You don't need to worry about here. That's the Central Valley. And it curves around, and then there's the, the Hinnom Valley runs around the south of it. We'll talk about that more. So when anybody invades, they come from the north. So this north wall had to have some fortress, had to be built up. And the byra, or the fortress right here that he's talking about, is this right here on this corner. Uh, it is going to be called the Tower of Hanil. Hananil, uh, we'll talk about that in chapter 3 uh, in more detail. You got that? that? That would be the byra. I need beams for the byra. And I think he's being that specific. I need beams. This is the byra, the fortress, the citadel that protects the temple and begins the protection of the north wall. When Herod comes in and expands the city or expands the temple mount, and you know this, he expanded it to the north. He expanded it to the west. He expanded it to the south. And then just kind of left the east side there. So it goes up this way. Now, just so you know, this wall right here, these stones right here of Solomon's wall, you can still, I got them in the book. You can still see these stones right here of the top of that wall. And that, uh, you can see carvings in the stone where this byrus stood. But he then covered up all of this. Covered this all up and expanded it out here. And then we'll talk, that's going to be important. We'll talk about that later. But then out in here, as this rose and rose real sharp right here, this is where he built up here, Fort Antoniah. And this is, why did he put it here? Because it used to be here, the Byra, or the Tower of Hananiel. He just moves, he makes this level and just builds it up here. This is Fort Antoniah up there. Nonetheless, that's what he's saying right there. Uh, I make beams for the gates of the fortress or the byra of the temple, that would be right here, the Tower of Hanil, Hananil, and for the wall of the city, and the wall of the city, he's not going to build it out of beams. Where's the, where's he's going to come? They're going to come into the gates in the walls of the city. And look at this. I need a fortress, I need gates, and I need a house. 
I mean, does that not sound like a government budget right there? We're going to need this kind of weapons. We're going to need this kind of uh, education system. And I am going to need a new office and some new desks. It's like, it's like, oh, well, I just slipped that into the bill. And that's, I, I don't know if that's what he's doing, but he does. He asks for, I need a house that I shall occupy. I mean, there's no, can't you just move into something? Don't you want, I don't want to move into something. It's all run down. I want something nice. I want to build my own house. Whatever. He's asking for beams for the fortress, for the walls, and for my house. Um, uh, let's, oh, several things here very quickly. The word forest, the, oh, I was going to point this out. Forest, I say forest of Lebanon. Uh, which is north, but it could be these things. I think it's point two on page three. The forest is likely the forest of Lebanon where the cedars of Lebanon grew. Solomon's rubble both got their wood from there, and I referred to that a moment ago. But also Solomon's garden was six miles south of Jerusalem. So six miles south. Bethlehem is two miles south. Go four more miles. There's another king's garden. That's where some water would be. They'd have aqueducts and pools, and they'd build a, some kind of a, a forest trees there. And some would say that's a, the place that that would be, especially since the, for, the, the, king of the, the, the man in charge of the force, the keepers, Asaph, which is a Jewish name, uh, also could be uh, Mount Carmel. Up here in Mount Carmel, some say in the, the forest uh, around Mount Carmel. Uh, I have no trouble thinking it's the Forest 11. I just want you to know there's some other options where he may be talking about. Um, some say that you can get oak. From right to six miles south of Jerusalem, you get oak. And oak would be a better building material for the gates and the beams. And I thought that was interesting, except the temple and the palaces and the Al-Aqsa Mosque oh, still have the cedar beams from the force of Lebanon. And that was, some of that was 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago at least. So anyway, that's, that's that. Also the word which pops up here, the word forest, is the Persian word pardis. P-A-R-D-E-S is the, it's a loan word. The Hebrews picked it up. It's, a, it's from Persia. They began to use it. The word forest, it refers to, uh, it basically it, the word means beyond the wall. It's, it's the land beyond the wall. And referred to an enclosure such as a park or some kind of a vacation or, you know, recreation area. It's, it's an enclosed forest with a wall around it and protected. It's the king's forest. So now that word ends up meaning an entire forest that the king claims that's, it's, it's growing uh, from just being a, a small park to being an entire forest. Uh, you can see it in Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes referred to as orchards or parks. When the Greeks, or when it was translated into the Septuagint with the Greek word, you can see that word is paradiasis, which is our word where we get the word paradise it comes into english as paradise and that greek word that the the greek word that translates this this persian word that we get the word paradise from is used as a greek word three times in the new testament just so you know uh it is used yeah luke 23 43 today you'll be with me in paradise second corinthians 4 12 4 uh I was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. And then Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, I'll give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in the New Testament, this paradise is first on the cross. It is in the underworld where Jesus is going to paradise. But then that paradise, after the resurrection, Paul is taken up to the third heaven, where it would be, in Jewish thinking, the earth is one, the atmosphere is two, and then the spiritual realm is three. And now in the, in the third heaven, there's paradise. And then Jesus, when he makes the promises in 96 AD, you can eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, which is now here. And when he comes back to earth, he'll probably apparently bring it with him. But anyway, the tree of life uh, just a little rabbit trail. It was originally on the earth in the Garden of Eden. It Then you can see it in Ezekiel, descends into the underworld. And then in the New Testament, the tree of life is in the paradise of God. So you can kind of trace that if you want to. Also, the, when the, 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 Latin, or the Greek translation of Genesis, the Garden of Eden uses the Greek word paradise also. Okay, so there's that information there. I turn the page, page 4. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. He gives him 
all of that. And, and you, you can see what takes place. I mean, when we read through the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to have tremendous authority, power. Uh, he's a great leader. Uh, but Artax, and Artaxerxes must see that. He, he gives it all to him. Again, you can see, like I said, the political reasons why you might be sending one of his main players right there to Judea. Chapter 2, verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. So now there's your trip. Right? You can see, like I said before, uh, now the king had sent, he, sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. So he leaves Susa with a, a military escort. And as he comes through here, as he goes through each province, he can flash his papers. But as he comes through here, he probably, mostly Samaria, he's going to show them the paperwork. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Here's a letter for you, uh, Sanballat. Here and here, Tobias, there's your letter. I think it's all pretty clear in there. It's, got, it's addressed to you. It's, I'm Nehemiah. Uh, you can see right there the title, Governor of Judea. I'll be building some walls, and uh, any kind of trade that's going on will have to come through my permission, and I'll be making any kind of decisions. Uh, this is from Artaxerxes. You see the king's name right there, the signature, and the seal right there on the document. Something to that effect. And you can see how they respond. Now, and again, he's standing there with a military escort. It's not just him running around with, I've got a, a, a three-day pass to Jerusalem. It's like he's got a military escort. The king's Persian soldiers, the king's cavalry is with Nehemiah. And he's coming back to take this little spot right here and build the walls of Ju Jerusalem. Chapter 2, verse 10. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite uh, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Because Sanballat is concerned with the welfare of the people of Samaria. And if we have to trample on the Jews, that just helps us get greater. Over here on the trans-Euphrates or Ammon, you've got Tobiah. Same thing. You're here to help. Where are you? And you're going to see as this book goes on, both Sanballat and Tobiah have access to Jerusalem. You won't believe it. I can't believe it yet. But after, again, I'll tell you a little punchline that's coming up here. After 12 years of eating, it's all built up. Nehemiah has to go back. When he returns after being gone for a year, the high priest has let one of these guys into a room on the Temple Mount. What's he doing here? Oh, he lives here now. No. No, it'd be like the, the Valley West Mall. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, the owner of Valley West Mall is now, they're running Jordan Creek. No, it's like, no, you're not going to, why are they doing all this? We're running Jordan Creek, they're around building Valley West back up. And so that's what ends up happening. It's like, these guys are going to cause problems throughout the book. I mean, it's going to be a, a fun little story. Uh, I'll, I'll, there's information about Sanballat and Tobiah. Again, historical figures. They're not, they're not fictional Nehemiah. You've got them from the Elephantine papyrus. You've got over here on this coast, on this side over here. You've got inscriptions. You've got citadels. You've got history. You've got a list of the kings that followed. There's Tobias I. Then there's a son, Tobias II. Another son, Tobias III. Uh, they're there when the solutions get there. And Ptolemy starts to Hellenize the Greeks. There they are. Tobias is there helping. Sambalay is there helping. Or the family line is there helping. It is an arist aristocratic family. Chapter 2, verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. And just like Eli uh, Ezra, when he shows up, they don't do... I mean, it, it must be... I mean, you can imagine. I mean, you can begin to imagine. To travel this far and arrive in Judah, Ezra and Nehemiah, what's the first thing they do? Nothing. Nothing. For three days, nothing. I'm sleeping, I'm eating, I'm showering. And then after three days, it's like, okay. Now, that is what Ezra did, and Nehemiah is the same way. He gets there, and it looks like he takes three days off. And we'll kind of clean that up a little bit, that end there. And then next time you come, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, I printed 12, plus one for me, 12 books, colored books, 70 pages of color, nice paper, not like to a printer, but at like Kinko's. So I've got 12 of them. I'm going to bring them next time. And uh, there's room for two more people to come get a book, but uh, no more. 
No more. So if they say, hey, this is great, Bob. No, don't be saying that. Don't be saying that. Look at the cool book we got. I'm not, I don't have 5,000 or 6,000 of these in my garage. I've got 12. If they cost about as much as 6,000 of those, try, try printing a 70-page color booklet and binding it at Kinko's. It's like, it's like I did it. I, I, want you to, I want you to see it. But if you don't want one, say, oh, I'll never use this. Well, then leave it here. You can take the Jerusalem book. You can take the Jerusalem book and use them for starting fire. I've got 5,000 more. Uh, I don't want you to, but it wouldn't bother me. But I, it, one of the, I'm going to be more protect. These little booklets I made, I'm going to be like, are you sure you need one? I got a box for you. But these books, like, it, it's only 70 pages and you made it on your computer. I know. But I've only got 12 of them. So, but I think you'll, I hope you like it. It's color. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So I'm going to pray and we'll be going. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for men like Nehemiah who have kept the hope alive and have taken action. And it's encouraging to see you moving on the hearts of kings and working your will when it's your time to move that you get things done. And Father, we do ask that we would be part of your plan, that whatever you are doing in history right now, that we'd be standing alongside of you, saying the things you want us to say and doing the things you want us to do at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here.